Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. I don't know about you. Some people are gardeners, some people aren't. So my question quickly to the people near you is like, what's, what's gardening for you? Is it something you hate, something you love? You got one minute to people near you. Hi, my name is gardening. Is it your thing or not? Okay, thank you. Let's, uh, let's try this just with a show of hand. How many people would say, if I said, is gardening your thing? You put up your hand. Gardening's your thing. And gardening's not your thing? Whew, we got a 50-50 crowd here. Nice. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, gardener or not, you're welcome in this place. So this is a third uh, sermon that I'm sharing with you as I try to jog alongside the Hillhurst train that's already been in motion in my absence. I'm finding my way back on. I decided when I got back that I was going to tell you three sermons uh, based on some of my own learning. And so the first one I did uh, a few weeks, two weeks ago, was on a question somebody posed to me after I got back from a solo retreat, uh, solo time. And the question was this, are you good company for yourself? I still think, what a great question. Are you good company for yourself? We look at how important it is to, to be alone and how that's a gift as it invites you then, for, therefore, to be with others. And we have to be alone and good with ourselves so we can be in relationship. And last week, I did a piece uh, about the Kino Center. We're just going to quickly see some pictures here, I think. The Kino Center is in uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, beautiful roads. Uh, Kino mean, is rooted in the word kenosis, uh, which is a theological word meaning self-emptying. And uh, the keynote is also movement. And so it was a beautiful time to be there for two weeks at a retreat, to be in conversation with these two folks and myself about my own personal life as a minister and also my professional life. And it's set up for weary and wounded leaders. Now, you can also use it as a place, as a Airbnb, but just saying, or people on sabbatical, like I was. And you have such distraction as beautiful beaches not too far. But um, it was such a great time and such a needed thing for clergy in particular, but leaders who get weary and wounded. And so coming out of COVID, there was a sense, I need to go to this place, and I wasn't disappointed. And last week, we looked at the five foundational blocks, the blocks of our lives. We all have a foundation, and the foundation of our life gets cracked. And Carl Jung is the one who said these are five foundational blocks that we have. We all have a sense of needing to be understood. We all have to have a sense of belonging, a sense that we have safety. We feel safe. 
that we're significant in some sense and that we have agency or power. And so each, I looked at those five blocks in great depth, if you will, really is scratching the surface to recognize that we all in our childhood in some way have a foundational block cracked. And it's through life that they get healed over. And it's in that healing that we recognize we all are wounded in some way. And it's recognizing that whether we, if we are conscious and paying attention to it, it doesn't bite us in the butt. We're actually eyes open to who we are and how we are and how we live fully and faithfully in that light. It's really about this work that Carl Jung would talk about. It's about being conscious, that our eyes are open, our minds are open to who we are and who we want to be. How does belonging work in your life or safety or understanding or significance or power? And what's so important in these is we all have cracks, whether you had five cracks or one. In some ways, we all have been cracked. And then as you heard a beautiful sermon on Easter that it's the wounded Christ that we celebrate, that the the wounds are, are healed through time. And we wondered last week, is the church a way in which we heal? those wounds or if you just want to go farther and wider than that how is it that we might have good religion in the world that promotes these good foundational blocks and living so that was last week and now we're moving to a session that i had with them on my final day which was looking at the whole theme of gardner and you heard andrea speak about that mistaken identity in the easter story so i invite us to pray Here we are on hard pews. Here we are amongst the creaky floors and the beautiful glass, the sights and sounds and smells of a building that has gathered people for over 100 years. And here we sit for a few moments. May you, O God, be conscious to us and awake to us that we might see ourselves as you see us, and that in that nurture and in that care we birth something new. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. Amen. So the last week was looking, uh, that I was at the keynote center, was looking at the whole theme of garden. And this week I heard a very short parable I want to read to you about the parable of the acorns. Doug brought it to our worship planning and we shared it. I want you to hear this beautiful parable uh, as we gather in this sermon by Cynthia Bourgeau. Once upon a time in a not-so-far-away land, there was a kingdom of acorns. A myriad of acorns nestled at the foot of a grand old oak tree. Since the citizens of this kingdom were modern and fully westernized acorns, they went about their business with purposeful energy. And since they were midlife baby boomer acorns, they engaged in a lot of self-help courses. There were seminars called Getting All You Can Out of Your Shell. There were woundedness and recovery groups for acorns who had been bruised in their original fall from the tree. There were retreats and spas for oiling and polishing those shells and various acorn-pathic therapies to enhance longevity and well-being. One day, in the midst of this kingdom, there was suddenly appeared a naughty little stranger who apparently dropped out of the blue by a passing bird. He was odd, capless and dirty, making an immediate negative impression on his fellow acorns. And crouched beneath the oak tree, he stammered out of a strange and wild tale. 
Pointing upward at the tree, he spoke to all that would listen to him and said, We, we are that. Delusional thinking, obviously, the other acorns concluded. But one or two of them continued to engage him in a conversation. Um, so tell us, how would we become that tree? Well, he said, pointing downward, it has something to do with going into the ground and cracking open the shell. Insane, they responded, totally morbid. Why then, we wouldn't be acorns anymore. This beautiful parable by Cynthia Brochot uses a sense of humor looking at the acorns and their resistance to going into the ground so that they might emerge into that great tree. The reality in this parable of life and death and resurrection, a pattern we saw not just in baptism, but we see in our life. Nature, you see, is the first sacred text. It is to looking at the earth and the cycle of the earth that we get a sense of how we fit as acorns in the world. Well, the gardening metaphor at the Kino Center is such a profound one because literally you drop a seed in the ground, you got a tree next week. The beginning of this process I had with them, they invited me to go to a garden to till and dig and plant a tomato that I'm sure is a massive tree this day three weeks later. But there's something about getting your hands in the dirt and creating the space and planting something that is part of our human nature. It is in that preparation and in that growing that we begin to see our very selves. And so over a two-hour period, of which this will be about a 15-minute sermon, we looked at three key pieces of your life and mine. The first was to say, what is it that you want to bury? What is it that you're going to bury? Now, when we were planning this service in the worship planning team, there was resistance to the word bury. They were saying, couldn't it be plant? And I'm saying to you today, no, it's got to be bury. There's a finality to bearing. There's a handing over, a letting go, a leaving behind, six feet under, if you will. It is the bearing of that seed that is so, so important. And as Jesus said, unless a seed is buried into the ground, it cannot multiply. Take that, acorns. You see this, this bearing is so, so important to think about your own life. What is it you need to bury? so that something new might come. What is it you need to be? You could bury somebody. I'm not recommending that, but you might do it in your own mind. There might be somebody that's renting space in your mind right now. You need to just get them out of your life, dig a hole, and metaphorically, you underline, metaphorically bury them in the ground. It might be an attitude that you have, a belief about yourself, a phrase someone said to you that seems to have stuck when it shouldn't, or maybe it's a habit. What is it in your life right now that needs to be buried under the ground? And this naming is such an important part of our life. Some people would say they were told they were dumb, not smart, not beautiful, inadequate, not enough. I say we dig the hole and bury those phrases so that they can truly die, so that something new can come. This past week, I had a beautiful conversation with Kathleen, the mother of Charlie. 
It was rare to have just one person to be in conversation. We had a great conversation to talk about this idea and how it fit with her birth story. And she gave me permission to share it with you. You see, Kathleen was all imagining a birth that was going to be a vaginal birth. She said, I've got this all figured out. This is going to be my thing. I am in control of this. And then during the pregnancy, during the delivery, they were discovering that they needed to have a cesarean. And she's like, no, I'm in control. We're not doing this. And suddenly realized that she wasn't in control. And indeed, there was a cesarean birth. But what she discovered after that was the horrific shaming and guilting by an online community and some friends who thought that her birth of Charlie was not natural. The guilt and shame that people put on themselves at times is horrific. And she said to herself shortly after the birth, I am so obsessed with what they have said about my birth that it's horrific shaming in my life. And so she said, I had to bury those thoughts down in the ground and cover them up and do the work so that I could actually look at this birth as a beautiful gift. When I was doing my work at the Kino Sense Center, I, as a nine who's a peacemaker, had to bury the idea that conflict is bad. Any nines in the room will tell you that Though we avoid and don't want to get into conflict, when we actually step into disagreement or conflict with energy, we get energy. And so I need to dig a hole and put some conflicts I've had in that and bury it over so I could start anew. So I would say to you, what do you need to bury in your life? The second was this invitation to water or nurture. And the question they asked me this, what are you going to nurture in your life? How are you going to nurture yourself with loving kindness and compassion? We are so hard on ourselves, are we not? We are so easy to show love and acceptance sometimes to others, but not for ourselves. And this water and nurture is a way of saying, what am I going to do that's good for me? How am I going to invest water and warmth in my own life? Kathleen continued to tell me the story of her birth experience. And she said, as they told me that I go to have a, ces a cesarean, I was literally walking down the hospital hallway and I was a bit cold and I was literally by myself because my husband couldn't come at that time. And I was standing in the hallway and I just started to cry. I just started to cry and cry. And I was standing there like this and two nurses saw me and they said, can we come and hug you? They walked over and they went and got those warm hospital blankets, you know, and they put them over her shoulders and around her body and they embraced her with warmth and then they hugged her and held her as she cried. And she said as she remembered back, reimagining that birth, she had forgotten about that until she looked at how those people nurtured her in this time of need. Have you had people in your life who've nurtured you with an embrace or a warm blanket or words of encouragement at that particular moment? She said, I need to remember that about my birth, not the text messages and the shaming about the birth, but there were beautiful angels right there in the hospital nurturing me. For me, at the Kino Center, I had to say, how am I going to nurture myself? I take one morning a week, I take an hour, it's not long, 
And I say to myself through journaling and scribbling and writing, what am I avoiding? It can be a long list some weeks and sometimes short, but nines are so good at avoiding. And it's in that avoiding that I say, oh, hmm, let's not avoid that, but step into it. So if you look at your life, how and what do you need to nurture your life? Or how do you need to accept the embrace of others like Kathleen did? And the final part of this process was really about the sense of birth. And it's the sense of giving away and trusting that you're not alone in this process. How do you experience the presence? So what you've done, you see in this place, is what do you imagine? What do you dream for yourself? Do you really have these dreams that you look to as possibility? Not a small life, but a larger life. Do you ever allow yourself to imagine the greatness that is and can be you? And ultimately, it requires a deep trust. A deep trust to know that we aren't in control, actually. It's in the letting go and trusting that there is a powerful presence beyond you that allows you to be held in the beautiful song of everlasting arms, but also trust that as you let go and you fall, you are caught by the Creator, held and embraced until those warm blankets invite you to bloom. So for Kathleen, it was the ability to say, I, I thought I was in control, but I'm not. And the beautiful mystery and gift of science allowed beautiful Charlie to come into the world. And that is a great, great, beautiful gift. But ultimately, for her learning, she said, it was to be able to experience the fact that I'm not alone. And she said to me, the most amazing thing I, you need to know is this, that at that moment, a mother, when they give birth, that moment just before the child cries, there is a silence that lasts forever until you hear that cry. And that is the same silence you hear when someone dies and is released to new life. You see, death and birth are the same beautiful mystery of trusting God in the powerful capital P presence. For me, one of the things I've come to learn through the Kino Center when I wrote this down with them was, I truly, when I stop and look back at my life, <laughs> through the highs and the lows, when I trust, I realize God has been present in the highs and the lows. And we call that word providence. And I trust and believe in providence like I never, ever have. So you see, you got to figure out what I need to bury, how am I going to water, and how am I going to trust in the providence that God, too, is in the mountains and valleys of your life. And all of this is consciousness, which I believe Jesus, the great wisdom teacher of all, invites us to. I close with a poem that Sandra gave me yesterday, so beautiful. The Facts of Life by Padraig Otuma. Now, he has a beautiful Irish accent, which makes it sound even better, so just imagine that. He was here in your church in the fall. Listen to the facts of life. The facts of life. That you were born and you die. That you will sometimes love enough and sometimes not. That you will lie, if only to yourself that you will get tired, 
that you will learn most from the situations that you did not choose. That there will be some things that move you more than you can say. That you will live that you must be loved. That you will avoid questions most urgently in need of your attention. That you will begin as a fusion of sperm and egg of two people who once were strangers and may well still be. That life isn't fair. That life is sometimes good. That sometimes better than good that life is often not so good, that life is real, and if you can survive it well, survive it well with love and art and meaning, given where meaning's scarce, that you will learn to live with regret, that you will learn to live with respect, that the structures that constrict you may not be permanently constricting, you'll probably be okay that you must accept change before you die, but you will die anyway. So you might as well live, and you might as well love. You might as well love. You might as well love. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here, and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.